Welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Here to talk all things hockey are your hosts, Brad Crisco, Ryan Hanna, and Evan Lobsinger. It's going to eat Evan up inside that uh, <laughs> in the interview with Draper, we uh, we opened by talking about golf. Like that is, if you gave Evan any topic in the world to open an interview with, that would be his and he, he would have been in his element. I mean, I don't feel bad for him. He's on vacation golfing some of the nicest courses on the continent. Um but that's if Evan ever listened back to episodes, that would devastate him. <laughs> well, the good news is he'll never know. He'll never know. That's right. He'll never know. Yeah. What's uh, ignorance is bliss. It sure is. <laughs> is Evan ever an example of that? Wow. The moment, <laughs> the moment he's not on an episode, it takes us zero seconds just to start going at him. Oh yeah, it's this is why do. he's the most well liked one, and we are generally hated. Yeah, no, it's it's us trying to bring him down to our level, which actually does the opposite. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, we'll never change our ways. Uh, folks, welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Uh, I am one of your hosts, Ryan Hanna. And I'm Evan. And that's Brad Crisco. Evan <laughs> Evan is currently away. This is a very, very special uh, episode of the podcast. Uh, this has been an interview that's been in the works for quite some time. Um, credit to Brad, who got things going on this. And... Um, one that we've been really excited to bring you. I know we've been hinting at it forever. You'll understand why there it took so long to put together and uh, scheduling was difficult because Chris Draper has been a little bit busy lately. Uh, has something happened? A few things, yeah. I, I think his world has been a little bit uh, uh, tumultuous of late. So uh, Chris was kind enough to take some of his time and uh, sit down with the Winged Wheel podcast and, and give what we think is uh, one of our favorite and best interviews this show has ever seen. So You'll understand why this was such a big deal for us, and uh, we hope that you really, really enjoy this interview with Chris Draper. For the first time ever, welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast, Chris Draper, four-time Stanley Cup champion, Red Wings legend, and director of amateur scouting for the Detroit Red Wings. How's it going? I'm doing well. Thank you. Uh, thanks for the opportunity and the uh, the nice introduction. Yeah, oh, yeah. We uh, I rehearsed that for quite some time. I don't have Brad and Evan here with me today, so uh, I have to do the... Uh, all the intros and the questions. So apologies uh, to the listeners. You don't have the sultry sounds of Evan. I, I understand that you have a twilight golf game tonight. Yeah, I do. Yeah. Uh, as you, well, I mean, obviously you guys are, you know, getting the same weather we are and you know, you have that window of uh, when you're going to go out and golf. So it's uh, for me here, it's, it's, it's a, it's a perfect time to do it, you know, going out at, you know, six thirty, seven o'clock, I can still get, you know, nine holes in and it's uh, it's, and it's, and the course is, is wide open, which, which I like. So some days I, I get nine, some days I get up to 11 or 12, depending on, on how I'm playing <laughs> and, uh, and go from there. So I look forward to, uh, so for, for, to some dust golf for sure. Yeah. Evan's going to be devastated to have missed the, uh, the conversation, but he, he can appreciate a good twilight game. Absolutely. Yeah. So let's get right into it. Chris, you've had a, a pretty crazy few weeks here starting. Actually, it's been more than a few weeks now, starting with the lead up to the draft, uh, development camp and and then um, free agency. What's your world been like? And uh, I hope you've had uh, some time to settle down now. You know what? Yeah, the last uh, last couple of weeks have been all right. Um, you know, pretty well. It, it seemed right when you know, kind of into into June. Um, you know, it, it was obviously busy. You know, just kind of you know, 
really kind of checking everything that I've, that I've done, you know, for the, for the entire scouting season, uh, going back, you know, reading reports, you know, watching video, um, discussions with, uh, with obviously prospects. We went into, you know, the combine this year in, in Buffalo that we haven't been able to do the last couple of years, you know, so you have that, um, you know, and then from there it's, uh, you know, you come back and, you know, you kind of, you know, you keep, going over that list and you keep going over video and then obviously getting into Montreal, which is a real exciting time and preparation for the draft and, and, uh, you know, ready to go from there. I thought, uh, I really felt, you know, good about our, our couple days that we had on draft day in Montreal. And we actually came back, um, Friday night after the draft. And then Saturday we had, uh, all our prospects in over the last, uh, three years, which was really nice. Some, of, some of them I hadn't even had an opportunity to meet, um, you know, as crazy as that sounds over the last couple of years, but brought them all in. Steve, uh, you know, addressed all our prospects. Danny Cleary, who's in charge of player development, uh, ran an incredible development camp for us, um, you know, on and off the ice. And it was, uh, you know, it was it was a, an opportunity for all these young prospects to really see what, what the end, what, what the end game is. And that is to, you know, to get into little Caesars arena and be a part of the Detroit Red Wings. And it was great, you know, on and off the ice. We just, uh, we, it was, it was a lot of information, a lot of education for them. You know, we kind of brought in, uh, obviously they were training with our strength and conditioning coach. Uh, our medical team was there. Uh, trainers, uh, trainers were there. Our nutritionists were there. I mean, you name it. We had, we had yoga. We had vision training. We just had a ton of stuff, uh, you know, for, for all these prospects just to, you know, really for, for them to kind of say, you know what, this is, this is the goal. This is where you want to be. This is the treatment that you want to get. And then I must admit, probably the most important guy that was there was our chef. And these guys ate like absolute champs for about five or six days. It's, uh, it's unreal to set up down there for these prospects and the meals that, uh, that they get. So it was a great, um, great opportunity for them. Um, you know, to, to come into Little Caesars Arena, uh, see the dressing room, see the workout room, see the practice facility. They were able to see, obviously, the main rank. Uh, in, incredible five, six days for, for these prospects. And it was, uh, like I said, Dan Cleary did, uh, did a tremendous job with these guys. You know, it's easy to forget that these are kids by and large or, you know, they're coming in 17, 18 years old. Was were there any moments when you or or Danny or or Steve Eisman were addressing the room where you kind of saw starstruck uh, young men in there who were just kind of wowed by what uh, what environment they were in? I think it's obviously it's 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 pretty special and a great opportunity here. You know, Steve Eisman ad address uh, prospects. Um, you know, and you can kind of tell right off the hop, the passion that, you know, he has for the Detroit Red Wings and, and obviously the passion to get better. So, I mean, uh, you know, these kids are, you know, it's, it's a cliche, but you know, they're only human. You have Steve Eisenman up there, you know, addressing them. And, and I got to think that, you know, they're kind of getting, you know, the chills and, and, and obviously the excitement of, you know, I can't wait to get on the ice after, you know, after hearing Stevie talk and, you know, and then, uh, you know, then you get Dan Cleary that gets up there and, you know, Dan, Clears has a, you know, he has a tremendous story. Like when you think about it, he was, uh, you know, basically a, you know, a high end, uh, prodigy coming into his, his draft year. Um, he ended up getting drafted to Chicago, you know, obviously things, you know, right off, you know, didn't really turn out exactly how, how he expected, you know, early in his career. And then you credit Dan Cleary for finding a way, you know, to, to coming in and making the Detroit Red Wings. He, he came in on a tryout. 
And, you know, that's something that, um, you know, obviously is, is, is pretty cool. You have a first round pick. I think he went 10th or 11th uh, to Chicago, you know, so you have a first round pick that things didn't really go, you know, his way. And, and then, you know, with, Obviously, the off-ice training that he did, he made an unreal commitment, you know, to training on and off the ice. He had a huge summer. He comes to the Detroit Red Wings. Um, you know, he makes the team uh, as a tryout, you know, and, and when we won the Cup in, in 08, I mean, he was on the ice, you know, the last 30 seconds of of when we were up and, and the role that he played, you know, for us in, in you know, the, the, the two Stanley Cup runs in 08 when we won and 09 when we lost in Game 7. Dan Cleary played with everyone, played in every situation. He was on the power play, he was on the penalty kill, and it's a great story for these young prospects to hear. It's uh, So it doesn't matter if you're, you know, if you're a first-round name, a top-10 pick or if you're a seventh rounder there's 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 ways to to make it into the nhl and when you have dan cleary sitting there and addressing you and talking to you you know use him as a resource because he's been there he's done that and he's been through it all i before we i have uh, some draft questions i have to admit there's some poetry to and i'm not sure how you feel about the nickname but the one dollar man talking about someone who came from the other end (laughs) of the spectrum with the high-end draft pick and both of you kind of did the same thing coming into the team and and really earning your way on and having a massive impact for cup or cups multiple cup wins yeah you know what i honestly i think that's a great story as well um you know i was originally drafted by the winnipeg jets in the third round and um, you know, at the time I was, uh, you know, I was considered, uh, you know, a, a top prospect in the, in the Winnipeg Jets organization and, you know, things didn't work out. It was, um, you know, it was unfortunate. It was at the time, you know, I was, I was obviously, I, I was devastated that, you know, I wasn't at, you know, at 2021, 20, a, a regular with, within the Winnipeg Jets or playing in the NHL. That was my dream. I was playing, uh, you know, in Moncton for the Moncton Hawks and, um, you know, in 1993 on, uh, on draft day, I ended up getting traded from, uh, from the Winnipeg Jets to, to the Detroit Red Wings for, uh, for good old Freddie Charles, future considerations. And, you know, it ended up being a great story. Uh, you know, when, uh, January 24th, uh, 1994, when I got called up and, and played my, my first game with, uh, with the Detroit Red Wings against the Chicago Blackhawks. The trade hadn't been finalized yet, and it ended up, uh, you know, being a, a monetary trade. Uh, I'm not quite sure how the one dollar ever kind of came about. I thought, I think back then there was like 15 rounds. Like you think I'd be worth a 15th round pick or something like that. But uh, I guess uh, Mike Smith from Winnipeg at the time felt, you know what, give me a dollar and we'll call it a deal. And um, you know, I, I obviously it's it's incredible how uh, you know it worked out, you know, for me. But it was just. Um, you know, that summer, you know, something switched, you know, there was a, uh, a switch that just flipped. And I, I knew that, you know, I obviously I wasn't the most skilled guy. I wasn't, you know, the, the biggest guy, but I could always skate. And the one thing I could do is just, you know, I wanted to be in incredible shape and I wanted to go in and I wanted to skate and I wanted to be, I wanted to kind of make a name for myself. And I ended up starting the year in Adirondack and I got called up. And, and like I said, from, from the day I got called up January, 24th was my first game with the Detroit Red Wings until I, you know, retired in 2011. You know, I never saw the American Hockey League again or the minors. So there are some good stories. And, you know, that's what we tell these prospects to, you know, if and, and I've always, you know, told them this after we've drafted them. If there's anything, you know, I could ever do, you know, please don't hesitate to call. I 
I want these prospects to have, you know, the, the same opportunity and, 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 and the same chance to play, you know, in the National Hockey League. They all dream it and, you know, you got to chase it and it's going to be hard, but it's, it's definitely worth it. So within our organization, we have uh, a lot of guys that played a lot of hockey for the Detroit Red Wings. And, you know, we, we want to be resources for all these prospects over the next couple of years to give them every opportunity they can, you know, to be a Detroit Red Wing and, and, and play in the National Hockey League. I want to jump over to the most recent draft we just had, Chris. Uh, Marco Casper at eighth overall. Talk to us a little bit about how that pick kind of came about, what the team sees in Marco Casper, and uh, were you surprised even to see him there uh, to, to fall at eighth to have a, a center of that uh, caliber at that position? Um, you know what? Come drafting, you just don't know what's going to happen. And, you know, for, for us, that's the important of, importance of having our list the way that we want our list. Um, you know, and then, uh, I, I had a, you know, great opportunity this year to see Marco play, you know, a, a ton, obviously playing over in Rogla, um, you know, I had a couple trips before Christmas. I saw him at the world juniors, uh, went back, uh, over there for, uh, for some playoff hockey during the U18 world championships. Uh, so I was able to get in and, and watch him play some playoff hockey. And then at the end at the world championships, uh, against the men in, uh, in Finland and, you know, just, uh, you know, first of all, you know, it's 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 up to us to gather as much information about a prospect as, as, as possible over in Sweden. We obviously have Hawken Anderson and Thomas Carlson, and those guys did, you know, a tremendous amount of background check on, on Marco. And everything just came back, you know, uh, people just raved about him. You know, whether he was playing the J20, whether he was playing on the SHL team, um, you know, we just, we, we really... You know, we really loved his driver. We really loved his character and his competitiveness. Those are those are things that you know mean uh, mean a lot to the Detroit Red Wings. We want to bring those type of players in. So, um, and obviously, uh, you know, like you you touched upon the the position. You know, the opportunity. You know, to bring a centerman in was something that we wanted to do. So, um, you know, when the Detroit Red Wings were on the clock in Montreal and we had an opportunity to go up on stage. Um, we were very excited to add Marco to uh, to our prospect pool and and obviously to the Detroit Red Wing organization. This is a question that I know Chris has received about forty five times, and I'm sure you close to it. But how much does uh, does position come into play when you're making your lists? You know, the Red Wings obviously had uh, a top six center question to answer, which you did with Marco Casper. But leading into it, did uh, did a potential centerman get an edge over a guy who you? maybe thought was equal caliber, but, uh, was closer to being a winger. Um, you know what, uh, I will honestly say this year, you know, kind of how the, the way we looked at it, we felt we were going to come away with a centerman, uh, you know, in this year's draft. Um, you know, I think at, you know, when you're sitting there and, and, you know, you're making the list and you're looking what you had. I mean, obviously it, it, it was something that, we all knew, um, you know, we needed and wanted, you know, to draft a center, but we didn't want to just draft a center to draft a center. You know, we need to we need to get important pieces, uh, you know, for the Detroit Red Wings that are going to come and, and make our team better, you know, uh, whether it's one year, two years or three years down the road. So, you know, really, obviously, when you have an opportunity to, you know, draft, you know, uh, someone that plays that position, um, you know, obviously you get excited about it, but, uh, not to the fact of, you know, sacrificing, you know, what, what you might consider or we might consider a better prospect, you know, at the time you look at it, you put the list together. And like I said, uh, in the end, uh, we were able to select, um, you know, a centerman, which we needed. We talked about that. Uh, and then obviously more importantly, a player like, uh, Marco Casper. 
And uh, this is one that's coming from Brad, one of the other hosts. How do the lists come together? Because obviously there's the, you know, what exists in the public sphere where they rank every prospect humanly (laughs) available, which I'm sure you guys don't have all the same thing, uh, like, you know, thousands of players long. But how do your lists come together and and how do they differ from what might be available for uh, for the public to see? Well, there's mock drafts out there. I didn't I didn't realize that. Is there (laughs) (laughs) one or two? Uh, um, you know what, obviously, you know, the importance, you know, the importance for us is, you know, we go out, you know, and, and travel, you know, travel the world, travel every league, um, you know, and just, and, and watch players. And, you know, in the end, you, you know, you, you start, you know, as you kind of get towards, you know, the, the second half, you kind of start, you know, it seems that some prospects, you know, kind of distance themselves from 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 other groups uh, that that we consider when we sit there watching it um you know so in the end it's honestly you know you sit there um I'm director of amateur scouting Hawk and Anderson is director of European scouting Jesse Wallen's a chief amateur scout and then obviously we have you know Steve Eiserman as well and it's uh you know it's a matter of having constructive dialogue and you just sit there and and you know we kind of we talk about it um, you know, we talk about the prospect, we talk about the background, uh, we talk about the potential of the prospect. Um, and then from there, you just kind of start putting, uh, putting the order, you know, in place. So it's, uh, it's basically, you know, I'm next, uh, so the, the Holinka Gretzky starts up, uh, the 31st in, in Red Deer, Alberta. I'm heading out there on, on Saturday. And, you know, here we are on to the, uh, to the 05 you know, draft class and, and, and the work starts, you know, right now, some of some guys I might be able to see at world juniors too, a couple of weeks later in Edmonton and you go out there and really from in, in a normal year, you know, you get to watch, you know, all these underages play. I would have seen them last year. Um, so you, you have a little bit of a, a read on them. And then, you know, going into, into this year, we have a good idea of obviously, you know, some, some top end names and, and then you just sit there and watch. And it's a matter of, you know, just kind of grinding out, you know, names and grinding out lists and, and talk and communication. And like I said, it's something that's, uh, you know, very constructive for us. And in the end, we put a list together that, uh, that the organization agrees on. So the second round this year was really interesting. I felt because it looked like uh, Detroit took, two players i don't want to say from opposite ends of the spectrum but they're pretty kind of distinctly different dylan james being a really hard nose works his tail off every shift kind of player and not to say dmitry bashelnikov doesn't but he is kind of this under the radar insanely talented guy out of russia uh walk us through those picks and, and what you're expecting from both james and bashelnikov um you know what dylan james uh you know he had himself obviously a tremendous year uh playing in the ushl which is a it's it's a really hard league to score in and he obviously put up some pretty good numbers this year which is uh which is impressive um you know every time you know we went in and and watched him whether it was at home or on the road you know it was just he just seemed to play the game the right way he understands how to play that play the game he's very responsible in his own end he's a good skater he's strong down low um, you know, and then kind of going back and, and watching a lot of goals that he scored this year. Um, he was scoring the goals, you know, in, in what you would call the hard areas or the right areas. Um, you know, and that was something that, uh, you know, really stood out with, with our staff. And, you know, it was interesting in the playoffs. You, you kind of watch the goals that he scored and then almost as important 
the time of the game when he scored them. You know, there was a lot of goals that he scored that were either game tying goals or game winning goals, which is obviously impressive, uh, you know, come playoff time. So, you know, a player like Dylan James, he was, he was very important to his team on both sides of the puck. Um, he played power play. He played penalty kill. When they needed a goal, he was on the ice. When they were protecting a lead, he was on the ice. And he just seemed to have that knack of doing things the right way. And, um, you know, he actually just got uh, got invited to, to Team Canada's uh, World Junior Camp, um, which is obviously, you know, a credit to, to the season that he had. So um, he found out about it actually at our development camp, which was uh, which was pretty cool. So, you know, he's just kind of he was shaking his head, you know, here I am and, you know, being drafted by the Detroit Red Wings. I'm, you know, in the Detroit Red Wings locker room and I get a call from Hockey Canada that, you know, I get an opportunity to go to the World Junior Camp. So it was obviously a lot of good things that, um, you know, have happened to him over, you know, the year. And then obviously from when the season season ended and, you know, in the in the end, uh, we like his path. He's going to North Dakota. Um, you know, we talked to him about that. He's really excited about playing in that program. Obviously, North Dakota has done, uh, you know, a real good job developing hockey players. So, you know, that's something that, uh, that we liked as well. Um, with D- Dmitry Buchelnikov, obviously, um, you know, under the circumstances this year, um, I wasn't able to see him live. Uh, a lot of contact with our Russian scout, uh, Nikolai Vak- Vakarov. Um, talking to him and it's the same thing in any area our our scouts are expected to gather a, a lot of information and all the information that was coming back was was really positive about uh, about Dimitri um, you know his work ethic uh, on and off the ice and then you know obviously uh, you watch him play in video and and you go back and you watch his points and his goals and his assists um, you know he's uh, you know obviously he's he's very skilled he has good hockey sense um, the kid can really shoot the puck, and you know what? His uh, we we really liked uh, the you know the way he competed. It seemed like he was a player that you know worked really hard to get the puck back. He's one of those players that you know he wants the puck on his stick, and you know just a a, a real smart, um, you know savvy, uh, skilled prospect that we feel that you know same thing that we added to uh, to our prospect pool. Talking about the uh, the lost year, so to speak, for the. For scouting because of the pandemic, especially depending on uh, the league that players played in, do you feel that players like Amadeus Lombardi are uh, almost, you know, found opportunity or, or, or a really big find for you in the fourth round where you might have felt with his talent he might have gone higher had he not missed that year of hockey? I hope you're right. Um, <laughs> he was, uh, you know what, uh, Amadeus was. He, he had himself a very good year, um, you know, and it's it's interesting. Uh, you know, you, you go, I have, I have some friends that, you know, that coach in, in that league and, you know, they kept bringing, you know, his name up and I just kind of, you know, shrugged my shoulders and, and kind of downplayed, uh, you know, what, uh, what he was doing or how he was playing. Um, but, you know, to your point, uh, you know, at, at 16, 17 years old, you know, losing, you know, a whole year of hockey. And, and even at the time, I don't have to tell you in, in, in Ontario, gyms weren't even open, you know, so you really had to, you really had to get, you know, creative. You really had to kind of think outside the box of, of what you're going to do. That's such a important year of development. You know, here we are talking about the importance, you know, of developing and literally for, for a year, things were, things were shut down for a lot of the OHL hockey players. And it was, it was obviously really hard for him, but Flynn had, uh, you know, it had obviously a really good season. Uh, very lucky that Flint's uh, about 45 minutes from my house. A um, lot of opportunities go up to, to go up there and watch him play. And, 
you know, the one thing, you know, I just, I just felt and, and our Ontario scout, Kelly Harper, you know, we just kind of felt, you know, every time I, I walked away, you know, from, from a Flint game, he just, he's, Amadeus just seemed to get better. And, you know, that was something that, uh, you know, that, that really hit home with us. So he, um, you know, at the time, you know, you're sitting there and, and, you know, we're looking at lists and we have, you know, names from, you know, from the West, the Q from Ontario over in Europe, whatever, you know, this was a player that, uh, that we really wanted to, to add. And, um, you know, he had, he had a good development camp. Uh, you know, I think he opened up, uh, you know, a lot of eyes, you know, for us and, and just, a he was a quiet, you know, quiet kid. I think, you know, talking about, you know, when Steve Eiserman is addressing someone, I think he was probably as nervous as anybody, uh, you know, just, um, you know, from, from where he's come from. And, you know, now here he is, you know, being drafted by the Detroit Red Wings in the Detroit Red Wing locker room and, and having an opportunity to talk to Steve Eiserman is obviously pretty special. Um, so we're excited, uh, you know, to be able to get him, he was, he was like a sponge, um, at development camp. He just kind of wanted to take everything in. Um, and it was, uh, it was, it was fun to watch him. He, uh, obviously had, uh, the Michigan goal in the, in the three on three, a lot of, you know, he had a lot of fun with that. And, and, uh, you know, he's a player that, you know, we're going to be able to get a lot of touches on over the next couple of years because of how close he is, you know, to us. And, uh, you know, that's, it's obviously going to be a, a huge benefit for him. And just as important, a huge benefit for us to to have him 45 minutes down uh, north on 75. You know, we try to stay objective on this podcast, Chris. Obviously, we're happy you're here, but I got to say one point of criticism. Wish you would have done the Rock Me Amadeus. That was your opportunity. <laughs> <laughs> I thought about it. Uh, I must admit, I did. Uh, I did think about it. Kind of brought it up in the, uh, the interview uh, post and then the uh the post draft interviews and then there was some uh there was some beautiful uh Instagram and obviously uh you know Twitter stuff that went on with uh with Rock Me Amadeus so it was uh it was pretty uh, it was pretty unique to add uh, an Amadeus and a Maximilian so uh it's not every day that you get to bring those guys into your uh into your organization yeah good draft class if for just names alone speaking of big names uh Maurice Sider um Besides being an exercise in proving everyone in the hockey world, uh, a hockey media sphere wrong, who saw Moritz Sider first and was there any kind of pounding the table for him uh, from someone or a group of scouts or was that just not necessary? Was it obvious from the beginning uh, that he was going to be the guy for you uh, at six overall? Um, you know what? We saw him, uh, it, ironically enough, my son played at St. Andrews College and St. Andrews College every other year goes over and plays uh, uh, in Mannheim in a tournament in Germany. And I had talked to the St. Andrews College coach, David Manning, who actually, uh, you know, brought his name up. Um, and then from there, obviously, you know, you, you, you kind of start as as the draft kind of starts going on, you start or excuse me, the draft year starts going on. You start hearing his name. Um, and I had never I'd never been to a DEL game before. Uh, and I had an opportunity to go over there and uh, absolutely incredible environment environment. They are so fun to go watch. Um, it's, it's incredible. They stand, they sing, they drink, they eat. It's, it's an absolute, you know, it's an absolute blast of, of how they enjoy, you know, watching hockey. Um, and I just remember going over there, you know, you have a six foot four right shot D-man, you know, that, that moves pretty good, that show good hockey sense, you know, with the puck, um, his poise was, was really good. Um, but he, there, there were nights where he didn't play a ton, 
And, you know, sometimes that's, that's hard. You know, you go all the way over there and you watch, uh, you know, you might get, you know, six minutes, eight minutes, whatever it might be. And there were some nights where it was frustrating and, you know, as, as, you know, trying to do my job or our jobs, you want to go over there and you want to watch this kid play, you know, 20, 22, 24 minutes a night, but that didn't happen. Um, so we kind of, you know, between, you know, Hawk and Anderson, uh, our Western European scout, Vladi have, Vladi have Louie, you know, started going over there. You know, he just, he just continued to, it seemed like his game was really maturing. Um, and then it was kind of the same situation of at the U18 world championships. Uh, I went in and watched a couple of playoff games of, 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 of Moe's. And the one game I actually got very lucky, one of the D-men, um, you know, was injured and didn't play. It was early in the game and Mo basically got a regular shift, um, you know, and it just, you know, in a playoff atmosphere on the road, you know, in, in, a, in, in a tough environment, um, you know, it was great to, to see the way that he handled, you know, himself and he handled that situation, um, showed a lot of poise, you know, from, from a 17 year old kid playing in, uh, you know, obviously a very competitive game. And, and then from there, you know, he had, an opportunity to play at the world championships too. So between, um, you know, Stevie, obviously going to see him, uh, you know, Vladdy Hawkin, myself, uh, Pat Verbeek went over to the world championships, uh, you know, going, going to watch him, you know, as well at the time, you know, like as, as we're discussing, uh, you know, players that we felt were that, that we wanted to pick and, you know, we ended up getting a, an opportunity to get a, a right shot six foot four demon. And, you know, uh, obviously, you know, the year that he had last year was, I mean, it was, it was unreal. Um, you know, right from the get go, uh, he, I, I, I feel, and I think our organization agrees, you know, we felt that, you know, during, you know, the pandemic, the opportunity to kind of, for him to have some stability to play over in Sweden and Rogla was, was, was massive for his development. Um, you know, he took obviously, you know, such big steps over there and then he comes in and he makes our team, you know, know right away and, you know, plays every single game for us and goes on to win the Calder, which is, uh, you know, incredible for our organization. So, um, you know, when we saw Mo as a 17, 18 year old, we, we really liked what we saw. Um, you know, but for me, you know, I, you know, I'll be honest, uh, I think he's, he's matured and turned into, you know, a way better player, way faster than, than what I expected. Um, and it's just a, it's a credit to him. It's a credit, to, uh, you know, the way he's wired, it's a credit, you know, to his preparation. It was a credit this year to, to be able to come in and face the wear and tear of playing 82 games and playing against the other team's top lines, you know, every, every single game. And he just, he just seemed to embrace that. And it was something that was, uh, was a lot of fun to watch. And, you know, we know going forward, we got, uh, you know, a massive piece of the puzzle for the Detroit Red Wings with not only the type of player that he is, but the incredible character that, that Moritz Sider has. And, you know, that's something that, uh, you know, has been great for, for us. So very fortunate, uh, to be able to, to get him and obviously even more fortunate to, to watch him develop, you know, into this player. And, you know, the one thing that, you know, what, what the greats do is it's, it's, it's every year, you know, they just, uh, he obviously had a great rookie year and now the expectations are, you know, from, you know, from him on himself and, and obviously from us that he's going to continue to do it year in and year out. And that's what makes players great. I know it was, uh, you weren't director of amateur scouting, uh, yet, but that was Steve Eisenman's first draft as GM. He hadn't come in too long before that. Was there any moment of, you know, oh shit. 
because obviously that was surprise. I'm sure you heard the gasp on the draft floor <laughs> surprised quite a few people. Was there any moment where you thought, you know, we can't, couldn't manage to trade back? We know Ken Holland is looking at him for Edmonton just a few picks behind or right after us. Uh, was there kind of a we're about to do this thought in your head? Um, not really. You know what? Um, you know, that's the, you know, like uh, obviously Tyler Wright was at the time director of amateur scouting and um, you know, I think, you know, when you sit there and, and you discuss it and you look at the opportunity of, uh, of, of, of what we were bringing in and, you know, when you, when you kind of sit there and talk about it, it just kind of all made sense. Um, you know, I think, you know, how many, you know, you see what championship teams do and, and obviously they're, you know, incredible back end. I was fortunate to play with, you know, some of the, some of the greatest defensemen on the back end. And you need those pieces. You need those players. And, you know, when you sit there and, and you start talking about it and you start debating it, um, the opportunity to bring in a, a six foot four right shot D man, um, you know, really made sense for our organization at the time. So fast forward to the, uh, the year where you took Sebastian Cosa. Uh, did you know, did you and the team know in advance that Ken Holland was, planning on taking COSA uh, if you didn't move up. So basically was that an at the table decision or did you have that kind of planned in advance? Um, you know what? It's um, I, I think at, at the time, you know, we obviously had, you know, a, a lot of picks um, and I think, you know, you're sitting there and just kind of, you're not sure, um, you know, if he's going to be there. So at the time the, you know, the move, you know, just made sense for us. Um, you know, we wanted to come out with, uh, you know, uh, you know, you had, you know, two goalies that kind of separated themselves in, in Cosa and Wallstadt. Um, you know, so that at the time, uh, it just, it was a decision that, you know, we felt we wanted to, uh, we wanted to step up and, and add, uh, Sebastian, uh, you know, to, to the prospect pool. So it was just something at the time that, that we made sense. We didn't know what, what Kenny was doing. Um, you know, obviously that was something that, you know, would never, uh, you know, never be discussed, uh, you know, um, or asked. And it's, uh, in the end, you know, for the Detroit Red Wings. And at the time it was something that, uh, like I said, we just felt, you know, that, that we wanted to do and, 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 you know, make sure that we didn't miss out, you know, on, you know, one of those goalies. All right. So rounding out on the draft here for now, you know, with the rise of analytics in hockey, obviously that has seeped into the territory of, of prospecting. It's not just NHL players that are looking at prospects from across the, uh, across the hockey world. How much does uh, the world of analytics inform on, you know, yours and your team's decision-making uh, and how does it kind of tie in with the, you know, quote unquote, eye test for you? Um, you know, we're, we're lucky. We have, we have a, a, a nice analytics department. Brian Campbell does, uh, you know, an incredible job for, for us. And, you know, probably about once a month, I'm in, uh, you know, communication with him, just kind of talking, you know, what are you, what are you seeing on your side? Um, you know, and it's, it's, it's actually for me, it's, it's very interesting and very intriguing to have those conversations, um, you know, about, uh, you know, the analytics, you know, of the game, uh, you know, and, and, you know, I'm always trying, you know, obviously I'm, you know, played hockey for, for 20 years and, and, you know, I've been in the front office now almost, I guess for almost 11 years now. And, you know, really just trying to expand, you know, my, myself, 
um, trying to learn as, as much as possible. Obviously, I enjoy going into ranks. I enjoy, you know, watching the games and, and, and obviously, you know, talking hockey and, de- and, and debating within our organization uh, prospects and, and what we've seen. And, and then on the analytics side, I, I always find it, you know, interesting and intriguing to have those conversations as well. So I would say that, you know, it's a, it's a big part. It's a big part of it, you know, but obviously for, for me, um, you know, the way that, you know, I've kind of, you know, played the game and I've kind of, you know, brought into the scouting world. It's, it's, it, it is the eye test. Um, you know, it's, it's, uh, you know, trust your gut, trust your instincts. And, you know, I just completed my, you know, my third draft, which is, um, you know, it's, it's, I, I, I think, you know, the more you do this job, the, the more confident you get in it to, to make those decisions. But, you know, it's always, uh, it's always interesting to hear, from the analytics side of it and, uh, you know, to have those conversations, uh, you know, with Brian Campbell and, and talk about that and talk about prospects, what I see, what he sees. And, you know, we just kind of, and, and then in the end, you, you just kind of go from there. So, you know, like I, t- like I talked about earlier about gathering as much information as possible on, on prospects and, you know, background t- checks, talking, you know, to coaches and trainers and assistant coaches and strength coaches and skating coaches, you know, it's also helpful to talk on, on the analytics side as well. So, you know, that's really what, um, you know, what we try to do. You know, talking to you and, and hearing about what you looked for in, in players and you, you hark back to your experiences. And honestly, Steve Eisman says a lot of the same things, you know, uh, you, you don't have to look much further than the cup winning, multiple cup winning Tampa Bay Lightning and the teams that he won with. How much does your success as a hockey player, as an NHL player, inform on how your vision for this version of the Red Wings, uh, how much does that factor in? Um, well, time will tell, you know, obviously, um, you know, excited to have, um, you know, Moritz Sider on the team and obviously Lucas Raymond on the team. And, and we just kind of want, you know, every, uh, you know, every year, every couple of years, you know, prospects knocking on the door, you know, to come in and be a part of the, the Detroit Red Wings. But, you know, for me, um, you know, obviously in, you know, in, in 2002, you're never going to see a, a team like that again. I mean, that was obviously pre-cap, um, you know, real special team to play for uh, and play with. But when you think about, you know, in, in 08 and 09, the teams that that we had, when you look at, you know, obviously built down the middle with um, with with Pav and Z, uh, you know, obviously we had uh, Val Philpula, uh, you know, myself, like you, you kind of look at, you know, being, you know, built through the middle, um, you look at the defense that we had, I mean, our top four, you know, in, in, um, Nick Lidstrom, Brian Rafalski, Brad Stewart, and Nicholas Cronwell, I mean, unbelievable top four, you know, that we had, those guys could play against anybody in any situation, you know, and then from there you look at, you know, you, you look at the wings and, and some of the players, you know, that we had, and like we talked about, you know, adding a, a Dan Cleary, adding, you know, a Michael Samuelson, um, you know, Yuri Hudler was, uh, was a top draft pick who brought a lot. So I think, um, you know, when you start looking at that, you know, that's, you know, that's kind of how, you know, our expectations are to, to try to build that team. Um, now, um, you know, Z and, and Pav are, you know, they're going into the Hall of Fame. They're absolutely, uh, you know, two, probably two of the greatest Red Wings to, to ever play the game. Um, and, and 
you know, we got pretty fortunate where we were able to get, you know, them in, in the draft, but you just never know. You never know where you're going to find the, you know, that gem, that diamond in the rough. And those guys turned out, like I said, to be incredible Detroit Red Wings and future Hall of Famers. So, you know, the way I look at it, you know, that's, you know, the type of team that, that I envision being, being a part of, um, of building, you know, you want to be, you know, you want to be, you know, hard to play against. You want to be competitive. You want to be fast. Obviously, you need star players. You know, those are the things that are going to win. And you just look, you know, every year of, of teams that win um, top six are, are incredible. Um, you know, they, they, you know, seem to do things every night to help their team win. Um, usually you're going to have a superstar defenseman. You look at obviously what Kale McCarr did this year for the Colorado Avalanche. Um, and then, you know, then depth. Um, you know, it's something that's really important. You know, when you're talking about third and fourth lines, I think, you know, it's, it's been shown over the last, you know, probably three, four, five years at the trade deadline, you know, teams trying to get, you know, those character players, those so-called grinders or role players that, you know, know how to play the game and play in key situations. Um, you know, you look at Colorado, you know, uh, trading for Cogliano, signing Darren Helm. Like you look at, uh, you know, how important of a role that those guys played on penalty kill, on winning faceoffs. Both of them scored big goals for, for their team. So, you know, when, it, when, when I sit there and I, I look at, you know, how we want to build and, and the type of team that we want, you know, I think that the, that's, that's the way you look at it is, uh, you know, you need, obviously you need, you know, you need center, you need depth through the middle. Obviously you, you want to get, um, you know, wingers that, you know, big, strong, physical can play heavy, obviously can chip in with goals and, and then the importance of the back end. And, and obviously for us, um, you know, I was able to win Stanley cups with, you know, Mike Vernon, two with Chris Osgood and, and one with Dominic Kosick. And it's all different. You know, Vernie ended up winning the Conn Smythe. Um, Dom, you know, arguably the greatest goaltender of all time. And, and then Chris Osgood, uh, you know, one of my best friends, uh, you know, who came back uh, in 2008 and ended up taking over um, in the playoffs and going on an incredible run and being a Stanley Cup champion. And then we were one win away in 09. So it's uh, when you look at that, you know, that's kind of, you know, the the template or, or the or the print of, of how, you know, we want to build. All right. Going back to your playing days uh, before game seven versus Colorado in 02. Uh, Detroit ended up scoring six of their first 16 shots that game. But do you remember the shot that Scotty Bowman took at you uh, when he was giving his pregame speech? There was a lot of those shots. Uh, so uh, I do, um, you know, and it uh, at the time, I got to be honest with you. I was, I was really, I was kind of zoned in on, on, on getting ready for the game. You know, here we were, you know, game seven, we were one win away of, of, of going into the Stanley Cup finals. And, and I just remember I heard my name and I heard laughter. And, you know, that was so I just kind of looked up and, and, you know, kind of got, you know, a little, little beat red and, and Brett Hull sat beside me and I was like, Holly, what'd he say? You know, and he just started, Holly just kind of shook his head and started laughing. So, um, you know, a lot of, a lot of fun with that. I think at the, you know, obviously, you know, let's be honest, you know, we're playing the Colorado Avalanche. Um, you know, we had a huge two nothing win in, in game six to bring it back to game seven. And there was, you know, there was so much riding on, uh, on this one game, um, you know, that if, if I had to be, you know, part of a joke that kind of loosened, uh, you know, the team up and, and, and obviously the first period that, that, that we had worked out pretty good for us. So, um, I'm all good with that. And for the listeners who don't know, I, I think the quote from, uh, Scotty was, 
Uh, it was about anyone being able to be a hero, even a guy with bad hands. And I, I think he, he he looked at you or he Me? said your name. Yep. Yeah. Now there was other guys in the room that I could have shared the bad hands with. <laughs> yeah. yeah, definitely. Uh, but it was, uh, you know what? It, it, like I said, it was, um, it was, it was perfectly timed and well delivered uh, by Scotty. And, uh, and in the end, the way that game worked out, it was well worth it. All right, there's some. There's going to be some obvious answers here in people's heads, but I want to hear from you, Chris. What's your most memorable moment in your career? Uh, it could be a cup. It could be obviously fight night. Whatever it might be, what stands out in your head when you think about your career at the Red Wings? Um, geez, you know, so fortunate to have you know so many great memories. But if I if I just have to pick one, I would have to say the Stanley Cup in 2008. Um, I had uh, um, my daughter. Um, my daughter and my son were there, uh, you know, in Pittsburgh, uh, which was, uh, which was amazing to have them on, on the ice after the game when, uh, when we won. Uh, and then I had the birth of, uh, my youngest daughter, Cameron, she was born, uh, two days before game one of the Stanley cup finals. Um, so, you know, really in the end, I was able to get, you know, a family picture of, uh, of the five of us with the Stanley cup. So that was something, you know, that, uh, that meant a lot. And, Probably have to say, you know, I, I know that's my that's my number one answer, but I always have to add, you know, just the the opportunity um, to hand the cup to my dad, um, you know, is something that uh, you know is was really special, uh, you know, for me with um, you know having you know all the you know the sacrifices, the commitments that uh, both my mom and dad did, and I just remember, um, you know, he. He asked, you know, can you pick it up and and hand it to me? <laughs> and it was something that I was able to do, and it's something that uh, obviously very special. All right, this is a question coming from elsewhere, but they said it'd be a good one to ask you, Chris. Are you the most competitive sob that you know? Huh. Um, probably, probably to a fault. Yeah, um, I think in the end, you know, we 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 talked about you know, getting traded for a dollar, um, the opportunity. I, I just wanted to play in the national hockey league. I wanted to be, I wanted to be a hockey player so bad. Um, you know, I, I literally every single day I, I burned for the game, the passion that I had for the game. I just, even to this day, you know, absolutely, you know, love the opportunity to, to watch, be around NHL players. It's something that, uh, you know, I just, it, it, it meant so much to me. So, you know, with that, um, you know, you kind of get, you know, a little, a little cutthroat, you know, and, and I think that that, uh, you know, I, I ended up getting to the NHL and probably, you know, the hardest thing is, is longevity. Um, you know, you always have, you have, you have draft picks coming in every year, you have free agents coming in every year. And the one thing that, you know, I never wanted to happen was somebody stealing my job. And I think that that was something that's kind of how I was wired. And I think that had a lot to do with, you know, my off ice training, the way I trained, the expectations that I put on myself in the summertime, um, you know, to get ready for, you know, for, for the grind of a season. So I, you know, I, I'm proud of, of, of the competitive competitiveness that I have. Um, sometimes do I take it a little bit too far? Yeah. Um, but, you know, I, I love to compete and, and I love to win. So when we get you out for a round of golf, maybe uh, you and I should be a pairing then, just so I'm not on the on the bad side of you. Uh, yeah, I would stick close. Uh, I would stick close <laughs> to me. Yes. <laughs> All right. Just a couple more questions here. Uh, unrivaled the E60 on uh, the Red Wings Avalanche rivalry. Have you seen it yet? 
I have. Yes. I've watched it uh, a couple times. Yeah. I got to say my favorite part was at the end where, you know, there was a lot of talk of reconciliation and and happy go lucky with Claude Lemieux and what's in the past is in the past. But, you know, when they cut to you and, and they asked you, uh, if you if you forgive him, you talked about, you know, it's in the past and that is what it is, but you don't necessarily forgive him. Can you talk to us a little bit about that? I've got a lot of, uh, I got a lot of people that enjoyed that line. I got to be honest with you, the way that it ended, I've had a lot of people say, man, we love the ending. Didn't see it coming that way, but love the ending. Um, you know what? Honestly, um, there's, you know, I, have I gotten over it? Absolutely. Um, you know, obviously it was, um, you know, at the time it was something that, you know, sparked probably, you know, the most hated rivalry in, in all of professional sports, especially through, you know, the, the summer of 96 and into O2, um, you know, but, um, you know, for, for me, it was, you know, and, and you can, I, you can kind of see, you know, how it was handled on, on his side. Um, you know, so that was something that, um, you know, probably, you know, bothered me the most, um, you know, but, but in the end, and like I said, and I've said this, I've said it, you know, in E60, I've said it every time it's, it's, I've been asked this question, you know, it, it, if, if that was something that was needed, you know, to, 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 to rally our team and, and put our team over the top, then you know what, I'm, I'm fine with that. You know, we ended up going on, you know, we ended up trading for Brendan Shanahan, which was a huge trade for our organization, uh, brought Shanny in. And then, you know, we end up going on, you know, to win 97 and, and then back to back in 98. Um, you know, so it's, um, you know, if I, if I was to see, you know, Claude and, and, you know, at a rank or whatever, and, and we were cross, crossing paths, it would, you know, shake his hand and ask him how things are and, and, you know, that kind of stuff. And, and that's just kind of, you know, that's, that's how I feel. And, and when they, uh, you know, I, I, I gotta be honest, I didn't really see that question coming. Um, and then it was just, uh, I don't know, that answer just felt right. And, um, you know, I, I, I stick by, I stick by my answer, but in the end, uh, you know, I, the, the way things worked out for myself and, and certainly for our organization, um, you know, I, I have, I have no, no hard feelings of the way it went. The rivalry was incredible for us. I think it was incredible, you know, for hockey fans, especially Red Wing fans. And, um, you know, it was something that, uh, I thought E60, uh, unrivaled was, uh, was incredible to watch, you know, to relive all that. I thought they did an amazing job on it. All right. Last one, Chris, I have to ask you, uh, Steve Eisenman and obviously his entire team, including you made big, big moves with free agency this year. Um, kind of caught a lot of people by surprise. What are your thoughts on, uh, on the direction and, and how aggressively you've moved together and, and, and bringing in those free agents and free agents to improve the team and, and what's your vision for the team moving forward? And then maybe where do you play into that? Does the director of amateur scouting, uh, step into that process a lot? Uh, you know what? I was, uh, I was very fortunate just to be a part of it, you know, listen and learn, um, you know, was something, uh, you know, of kind of how I was there, obviously for me, um, you know, watching NHL players is, uh, you know, uh, at home, you know, watching games on TV or the opportunities to go down to little Caesars arena. But for the most part, I'm in, I'm in amateur ranks, uh, the entire year. Um, I absolutely enjoyed watching, you know, the NHL playoffs this year. You know, I thought it was incredible hockey. It was great to watch. Um, so the names come up and, you know, I am familiar with, uh, with a lot of them just from, you know, watching, you know, watching it, but 
you know, we have, we have pro scouts that, that live that every day. Like I live on the amateur side every single day. So, um, it was just great to, to be a part of it and, and the excitement of, of names that, you know, kind of kept coming out for us, uh, you know, was obviously, you know, something, uh, you know, that I think it excited, you know, us in the front office. And, and I think it was a full trickle down effect, to, you know, to all Red Wings fans of, uh, of the signings that Stevie was able to make. And, it was, uh, you know, when you look at it, you know, we added uh, basically a second line. Um, we were able to bring in 2D that the expectations are are going to play, you know, in our top four. You know, unfortunately, um, you know, Pissick had a uh, an accident, a training accident, um, you know, and then uh, we went out and signed uh, Hag the other day to add to, to depth within the our, our back end. But I think it's exciting. And, you know, the one thing, you know, as you're sitting there and you're hearing, you know, these uh, these names that, you know, are coming to Detroit, you get excited about the fact that, excuse me, that they want to come to Detroit. And, you know, that's something that, uh, you know, is really important for us. Um, you know, and then, you know, sometimes, yeah, as you get caught up in free agency, you kind of forget we made the trade for for Billy Huso as well. So, you know, the goaltending tandem of, of Huso and Nadelkovic is, um, you know, is, is, is exciting as well. So for me, um, it was just basically the opportunity to, to listen and learn and just kind of see how these things happen. And it was, uh, you know, it ended up being, a, you know, a great day for the Detroit Red Wings. And we were very excited of the pieces that we were able to add to our hockey club and, and felt that, you know, before we went to, to bed the night before free agency, you know, we woke up the next day and we were a much better team. And, you know, that's exciting for us going in the, in, in the direction that we want to go into. And, you know, the, that's, uh, you know, you want to get into the playoffs eventually. You want to be part of, uh, obviously, uh, you know, that top 16. And then from there, you know, we want to uh, become Stanley Cup contenders. And we know there's still a lot of work to do, but it was uh, it was a good day for, uh, for our organization. Well, Chris, I have about a million more questions for you, but you have a tea time. So I have an offer to make you. Okay. There is a one of these special Mickey Redmond style winged wheel podcast flannels with your name on it. Thank if we you. can, uh, if we can expect you back on the show at some point, uh, maybe when your world settles down a little bit again. Yeah, absolutely. I would, I would enjoy it, Ryan. It's, it's always, uh, it's always fun to talk hockey. It's always fun to, uh, you know, talk, you know, about passionate, you know, Detroit Red Wing, you know, hockey. And um, I enjoyed the opportunity today. So thank you very much for for having me. And yes, we will, uh, we will do this again. Awesome. Folks, Chris Draper, Director of Amateur Scouting for the Detroit Red Wings, Red Wings legend, four-time Stanley Cup champion, and about to go crush a round of Twilight Golf. Chris, thanks again. Looking forward to it. Thanks, Ryan. Thank you. Okay. Welcome back. That was our interview with Chris Draper. Uh, Wonderful, like wonderful stories, insights into the world of what it is to be a Director of Amateur Scouting, uh, a Red Wings legend, to have this kind of feud ongoing, maybe not ongoing, but still pretty present with, uh, with the Colorado avalanche rival rivalry. And, uh, again, like I said, pre interview, we could have gone on for hours and hours longer. So we'll have to have him back on and maybe you and Evan should join this next one. I'll try. Yeah. Yeah. Do your best. <laughs> we actually should be saying that to Evan. I think <laughs> Evan was pulling his four iron out as I was just reading that intro. So yeah, man, Keenan Draper might have been the key to drafting Moritz Sider. That was amazing. Uh, that's that's the modern day story of how they got Datsu. Yeah, yeah, same, yeah. same type of vibes. 
Who was it? It was St. Louis was also flying out to see Datsuk, but they're they, no, they weren't canceled. even going to see Datsuk. It was I can't remember who it was. I want it was some random journeyman defenseman like a Henrik Tolinder or something like that. Yeah. Um some it might have actually been him, but someone like that. And it was just, oh, that kid's pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> that scrawny kid is really strong and talented. Yeah. And St. Louis's flight got canceled or snowed in or something. So it was only the Red Wings there to see them. Yeah. I also loved how, you know, when oh, I. Dimitri Kalinin. Yes. That's what Dimitri it was. Kalinin. That's who it was. I, I, I knew I was thinking of some random Sabres defenseman from 20 years ago. Yeah. I also loved, you know, when I asked Chris, like, did you ever have like a, wow, we are about to draft Cider way ahead of where everyone else thinks we should or are going to and like was there ever a moment of hesitance and it was just no like the process the insight into what a draft room's process is is so wildly different as opposed to like how the public sphere works and the media sphere works for obvious reasons anyhow um more to come in that interview and, and hopefully more to come from chris in the future so uh, thank you all for tuning into that. Before we move on here, uh, I do want to tell you that this episode of the Wing Wheel Podcast is proudly brought to you by the FanDuel Sportsbook, a sponsor that gives hockey fans what we really need even more excitement. There are so many reasons why FanDuel is America's number one sportsbook. They're simple to use with great odds on different betting markets, giving you more action every game day. Plus, there are tons of fun with unique bet types like same game parlay and exclusive promos on the biggest events. And when you win, you get your winning safely in as little as 24 hours. Now listen to this. FanDuel is letting you place your first bet risk-free up to $1,000. Just place a bet on any game and FanDuel will refund you up to $1,000 back if you don't win that first bet. If you win, you keep the cash. If you lose, you get up to $1,000 back in site credit. Now what we want you to do is download the FanDuel Sportsbook app to get started with that risk-free bet of up to $1,000 and be sure to sign up with promo code WWP so they know the Winged Wheel Podcast sent you. That's FanDuel Sportsbook promo code WWP. Must be 21 and older and present in New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Illinois, West Virginia, Indiana, Colorado, Iowa, Tennessee, Virginia, or Michigan. First online real money wager only. Site credit is non-withdrawable and expires in 14 days. Restrictions apply. See sportsbook.fanduel.com for details. If you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-522-4700 in Colorado, 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-GAMBLER in New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Illinois, or Virginia, Tennessee Redline 1-800-889-9789, 1-800-GAMBLER.net West Virginia, or call 1-800-270-7117 in Michigan. All right, uh, minor news here for the Red Wings before we jump into um, to overtime. So there was the the Mark Pesic signing um, not too long ago, and that was you know a depth signing, a guy who could play defense and was one of those players who kind of played up on wing, much like you know Witkowski, Brendan Smith, other players like that. He hasn't done a much of, much of it, but depth signing. Could be waived probably pretty safely, uh, could slot in as a seventh uh, defenseman, 13th forward, etc. And then the Red Wings actually had another one of those. Uh, they signed Robert Hegg, a 27-year-old left defenseman. Again, you know, this isn't a, a world breaker. This is a depth defenseman kind of thing. Probably someone you can comfortably waive, play as your seventh defenseman, slot in if and when injuries happen. Um you have to think at this point, okay, the blue line's getting pretty crowded. And not that a seventh defenseman or a guy who might end up in the AHL would ever be the catalyst to force a trade. But I was legitimately starting to think, is there a trade in the works right now where Detroit is trading like a top four defenseman and not getting a defenseman in return and they're just filling the hole? 
and it, I spent a little bit of time wondering about it. And then the announcement came out from the Red Wings right after the signing was announced that Detroit Red Wings defenseman Mark Pesic, who was just signed, uh, underwent successful surgery to repair a torn Achilles tendon. Recovery time is expected to be four to six months. Chris Draper confirmed in the interview it was just a freak training accident. Popped his Achilles, unfortunately. Pretty devastating injury and obviously not something that he or the Red Wings accounted for. So that is that signing uh, encapsulated right there. Yep. Um, I, we've spent the last, it feels like three episodes just constantly repeating how important depth is for just such a problem. Um, happened a little earlier than we would have anticipated. <laughs> Usually uh, camp starts at least. Yeah. But this is, this is the exact scenario why you, you need to have depth because, you know, between, Hag and Lindstrom and when Pesic comes back and Osterley and Kampfer, most of them aren't going to be anything special because um, most of them haven't been anything special for their entire careers. Um, but what should happen between now and then is one or two of them should be surprisingly competent. And then they earn that spot because we have a fairly good idea what the Red Wings top four is going to look like. And then it's wide open beyond that. Yeah. And when you have four to six guys competing for those, you know, two, you know, three spots, if you want to count the seventh defenseman, uh, guys need to overperform their capabilities to take those spots. So the guys who are underperforming won't get those spots. So if Robert Hag shows up and is plainly terrible, okay, well, You've got a bunch of other options beyond him. If Robert Hag shows up and is, dare I say, good, well, that's a phenomenal problem to have because then, you know, you can start exploring options with the defenseman below him, um, whether that's waving them, buyouts, trades, who knows, but you, you have the world of options and, you know, not that Robert Hag is bad. He's not, but he's also definitely not anything special. Comparing Hag and Sherrod and Mata and the other guys and Pesic before he got in as the depth defenseman. Well, let's remember what the Red Wings defense looked like last year. These are still upgrades. Yes. Even though they are purely six, five, six, seven depth defensemen, they are still upgrades from the majority of the defense the Red Wings had to parade out last year. So, you know, when Wallman comes back, you can throw him right into that mix too, because Wallman's not guaranteed time if Wallman out gets outplayed by Hag, well then Hag's gonna get the ice time. If Wallman outplays, you know, Osterley, Hag, and Pesic, when Pesic comes back, then he'll get the ice time. So, you know, this is the exact scenario you why you sign a lot of depth guys and now it's up to them to determine who plays. Yeah, you know, looking into Robert Hag as well, uh seems like he's a guy who <laughs> Eisenman wasn't signing a seventh defenseman to be a world world beater. Um, he is a guy who plays a pretty decent amount of minutes, actually um, hits quite a bit and blocks a really good amount of shots. I know injuries have derailed some progress on that front uh, of late, but yeah, he's uh, he's coming in to play hard minutes if he's in. That's that's what he's there for. It's it's like you just said, Brad. Eisenman's making sure the depth is there, and he's making sure the depth isn't all right, let's just make sure that guy doesn't go out and fail himself on the team every shift. It's to make sure that they're competent and at least, you know, keep that MO of the team halfway present, which is make them hard to play against. If we're not going to be, 
you know, the Tampa Bay's, the Colorado's of the NHL, let's at least be a hard team to play against. So is it sexy? Is it the world's best roster? No. Draper said in the interview, it's, it's like there's still a long way to go in this rebuild, uh, but it's a step and it's an improvement. And there are some very fair criticisms of contracts like Ben Sherratt's, I think, where you're like, you know, the term based on his age and based on, you know, his actual output, et cetera, et cetera. And you can't discredit those. But at the same time, this is something that took me a little while to come around on, even though I might not like the contract. Like you said, Brad, still an improvement. And if you can't skip five steps, which you really can't in the NHL, unless you get lucky with the lottery or, I mean, the Red Wings really did get lucky with Mo Sider. You kind of have to take those iterative steps and sometimes it costs a little more. Sometimes it costs a little less. Yeah. You got to treat depth players almost like draft picks. You're going to have more misses than hits. Mm -hmm. So the more kicks at the can you have, the more likely you are to get some hits. You know, if Robert Hay comes in and, um, rediscovers uh the his game that made him a i think he was a second round pick back in the when he was drafted fantastic if he doesn't well that was always the likely outcome but again you just need one or two of those guys to exceed expectation and it's happened before like nobody thought mark Stahl was going to be what mark Stahl was for the last two years at that point in his career no he has been the best example of use a player correctly based on what they can do and you can maximize what they can do for your team yeah exactly so you know, it's it's more of the same trend as to what this offseason has been. And it's um, it's going to be refreshing when an, a freak injury like the Pesic injury happens, but in midseason and going, oh, I don't even know who the hell they're going to call up. Oh, I don't even know who the hell they're going to put in the lineup. What are we doing here? They waved Danny DeKaiser and then he had to play a week later because yeah, <laughs> that's what they had. Yeah. So that won't be the same issue this year. Fingers crossed. <laughs> okay. Uh, there's a lot to come on Red Wings roster, I'm sure. But for now, uh, let's keep Draper's interview, the feature of this episode, and let's jump into overtime. Winged, uh, I always get the link wrong. Patreon.com slash winged wheel podcast. If you want to join the WWP, uh, patron or patreon and uh, join the dubbed up club more importantly you get access to great things like the discord which is always a lot of fun if not a little wild um the patreon exclusive overtimes that we record right after we record the main episode and are posted those are a little bit uh, a little bit more loosey-goosey Evan has been known to to go off the rails on those and uh a lot of other fun stuff so if patron if you want to know what patrons uh, allow us to do they allow us to do things like get interviews with Chris Draper and host winged wheel podcast nights in partnership with the uh, Detroit Red Wings and support the Jamie Daniels foundation and improve our, our, uh, you know, studio equipment and things like that. So uh, really, really appreciate all of our patrons. All right, let's uh, start with a question here. I thought this was a fun one from Tyler C who says Kadri and Klingberg are going to the Islanders, right? Lou is just sitting with the signed contracts in his drawer. Like we joke, but I could believe it on Kadri. On Kadri, I could. Uh, Klingberg, with the news of what Klingberg did today, I'll say that's unlikely. Switched his agents, right? Yeah, he he's changed agencies because I guess he was the report uh, from I think it was Renaud Lavoie was saying he was looking for an eight by uh, seven by six entering free agency, mm. which I don't think was ever realistic. But he sure as hell seemed to think it was, and maybe his agent told him it was. And I'm now- sure his agent was telling him like that's what you should go for. And now all of a sudden that didn't come close. Teams went on to other options and he's probably taking a, a significant hit on what he could have got had he maybe been a little more realistic out of the gate. Yeah, you. I bet he's looking at teams like the Red Wings and saying, 
you know, they gave Ben Sherratt more term and more money maybe than they wanted to. And I asked for way more. If I settled with just a little bit more than market value, I might have been able to take Ben Sherratt's. Those are wildly different players. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But as an example, yeah, I, I can see why he would not be happy there. How many teams have capped themselves out since free agency to now? That's how it goes, right? Like, There's a lot of teams that could have afforded John Klingberg then that definitely can't now. Think of it this way. It's Black Friday. You have a thousand bucks, a hundred bucks, however much. And and this is like old school before you say Black Friday, Boxing Day, those things kind of got ruined by shitty sales on all online. And you're at Best Buy at 6 a.m. Um, are you waiting until 10 a.m., 1 p.m. to buy your stuff? Or are you rushing to grab those heavily discounted or like premium items right away because you know they're going to be flying off the shelves? Right, you got to move fast, and teams don't sit on their cap space if they're trying to compete. If they're like the Red Wings, then yeah, you you have a little bit more breathing room. But teams like the Red Wings are less plentiful. Teams are more want to spend to the cap or do so without really thinking properly about it. Uh, question here from Shatna, who says yes or no Wings alternate jersey, including the Pistons teal. Look, I'm a big fan of the teal. I love that the I, I I'm I'm good on the teal. I think the white version of the the teal jersey is the best. Um, I'm more big on the logo. I love the horse logo. Shitty as it might be, I don't care. Um, no to a Red Wings jersey with teal though. No 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 no. If we're going wild colors, we're going purple, right? Oh God, the octopus jersey. Yeah. Oh, I love it. Oh, did, did I tell you someone pointed out? This week about the Red Wings logo, something that I had never noticed in my entire damn life. Okay, I saw you post that, and I don't know how you didn't notice that. You didn't notice that the wheel was moving from right to left? No, I noticed that. I didn't realize it was two wings. You didn't know it was I two wings? I never noticed that it was two wings. I just thought it was a, a good design before I noticed that the, the top Brad. thicker line was actually... Like, it, as soon as I got pointed out, I'm like, I looked, I'm like, oh, yeah, no, that totally makes sense. I get that now. But in the meantime, it just looked like it was just a clean, streamlined yeah. design. No, no, it's two wings. Yeah. And then I'm like, oh, okay. I get that. Uh, that makes way more sense. That's so funny. Yeah. I never I, and I wasn't the only one. Like, a lot of people were like, I I hate that you made me see this. Well, I, I think it's it. cool. I think that's great. I, I like it. Yeah. But I never actually pieced that together. Yeah, for anyone wondering, the two solid lines at the top of the wings, the top solid line that curves, like the same contour, that yeah. is a uh, that's the back wing. That's the back of the second wing. Yeah, it's a little bit because of the top of the front wing is designed almost exactly the same. I just kind of like I said, pieced it together. That's really funny. But yeah, and then I was like, oh yeah, okay, that makes sense. That's a ster- that that's some me stuff right there. Yeah, just so like uh, it's something you look at so often that like you never bother to look at the detail of it. Like after a while, and because I started cheering for the wings when I was like I don't know five years old. As an adult, I never actually took like a really hard close look at the logo because it was just it was the Red Wings logo. It's always been the Red Wings logo. It's never changed. Why am I gonna? examine it now you know what i mean so. i have drawn that logo so many times as a kid oh as a kid yeah and so that's why that's why i feel like i know it okay there's been a fly in here for the past few days and i'm not convinced that it isn't evan <laughs> because there's never like a, a like bugs in here flying around and like i was interviewing draper and it was getting in my face and i had to like play it cool and try to blow it away anyways uh question here from jeremy Dahl it says hey boys who make the noise it's so nice that evan reads over the patron names every night before he goes to bed rubbing his hand over a glass case of names that's why you guys are the best because you care so much <laughs> uh last week uh with you explaining last change was very help uh, helpful could you guys also give me 
a quick lesson on the cycle and the rush. You use those terms a lot, and I think I have it sussed out, but it could I could be wrong. Okay, um, easiest way to describe it is north-south and east-west. Um, so the rush is transitioning from D-zone to neutral zone into the offensive zone. So if you are transporting that puck in a relatively straight line, you know, obviously zigzag for passes and, and juking defenders to get that puck to the net. That's the rush. That is, you are rushing it towards the opponent's goal, towards the opponent's end, whatever you want to call it. So if someone comes down the wing, burns a defenseman in wide and shoots and scores, that's scoring a goal off the rush. Cycle is when you actually have possession in the offensive zone but the puck is not going directly to the net. You're working it around the boards. You're passing it. You're, you know, winning battles in the corner. So you, you have a zone or whatever you want to call it set up in the offensive zone. And generally a cycle will work in like a circular fashion where you pass it around behind the net to that up to the point, something like that. Hence the name cycle. Mm-hmm. But cycle has evolved to basically mean just holding possession and, you know, tossing the puck around in the offensive zone to try and create a chance that way. So, you know, hence moving the puck from east to west, from the left side of the ice to the right side of the ice and vice versa, back and forth, trying to create something. So that's about the simplest way I can explain it. All right. Uh, a couple more here. One from Michael Rasmussen's Offensive Upside says, what does the future look like for Jared McIsaac? And do you think he's been passed on the depth chart by Johansson, Vero, Sabrango, Edmund, and Edvinson at this point? Just, I'm going to jump in quickly here. I can't say, I don't think it could be confidently said that Vero and Sabrango have passed him, uh, Sabrango, but I, I think this year is going to like definitely determine where he stands relative to those two. Edvinson and Johansson are ahead of him though. Because I am this year, just based on roster construction and Grand Rapids might say a lot, because if I'm not mistaken, Johansson and Vero are coming to North America with McIsaac and Sabrango already there. So that's four left D penciled in for Grand Rapids. And that's assuming Edmondson makes the Red Wings. Yeah. So you you could see maybe some trades with these guys, some shuffling, maybe a couple guys. So Vero comes over and does not get a spot in Grand Rapids, but McIsaac does. That's probably a pretty good indication of where the team stands. Um, I think in terms of ceiling, Johansson and, and Wallander are pretty comfortably ahead of McIsaac. Mm-hmm. In terms of depth defensemen and likelihood of getting a spot, I think between Vero, Sabrango, and McIsaac, it's a toss-up right now. I'd probably give the advantage to Sabrango just because he's shown the most and is, I think, the youngest of that group, at least same age as Vero. So, yeah, it's this, this year is going to determine a lot for a lot of prospects in the Red Wings organization. It, it's, it's a unique year where there's a lot of make-or-break years at the same time. And last one here is from Sam W says, hello, many of us are sleeping on just how good Shai Booyam might be. Oh, also him. <laughs> yes. Shai Booyam is a player who is probably an enigma to a lot of people still, just by nature of him being that prototypical Red Wings second round pick where you they pick him and a lot of people are going, who? <laughs> um, but remember back to our, our draft review on, on Shai Booyam, that is a you know, project pick, not in the sense that he's like uh, a seventh rounder or a late round pick like Soderbloom, where he has to be a unicorn, but 
a lot of really raw but good tools that need refining. So I think as we see Shai Buyam develop and as he gets closer to potentially making the Red Wings, we'll have a much better image of who he is. And yeah, I have to agree. A lot of people exclude him um, from their potential future Red Wings lists, and they really shouldn't be. Uh, also, why do uh, so many, and I think this applies to me, dislike player comps? NHL organizations use them. Comps are standard across many industries, especially when projecting future value. At the very least, it helps in terms of evaluating prospects' uh, prospects' likelihood to reach potential and contextualizes their skill set. A more specific, detailed way of indicating top-line center or stay-at-home defenseman, etc. Not every player is a unicorn. I think they're helpful when thoughtful. Thanks. I think that last line is it, when thoughtful. I think it's because miss people, either the people explaining the comps do a poor job of explaining the comp or the people listening or reading to it misunderstand what the comp means. So if I sit here and tell you, give me any random Red Wings prospect. Yeah, Bergen. Bergen. So if I say I see a lot of Nikolai Ehlers and Jonathan Bergen. It doesn't mean I think Jonathan Bergen is going to be as good as Nikolai Ehlers. And it doesn't even mean I think they play have have super similar skill sets. It's I see their role being similar and there are characteristics of their game that are similar where they're smaller guys who can do a lot of work on the perimeter, good passers, stuff. You, you know what I mean? Now, is that a perfect comparison? No. Is there probably a better comparison than Ehlers? Sure. But if I tell you the way I see Bergeron being successful in the NHL is by playing like a Nikolai Ehlers, I'm more talking role and strengths. It's almost like a symptom of you grab the most notable players that you think people will understand and be able to yeah. connect with. Um, and by virtue, those are going to be great players. But it's hard to do that and then also ask people to say, detach what you just said, Brad. You're not asking him to be Nikolai Ehlers or expecting him to be. Detach that from the skills. And I don't think that's anyone's fault. Yeah. And that's why I inherently dislike them because I, I don't think it's the listener's fault. I think it's the onus is on us, for example, if we're doing comparisons to to give you that comp and explain that. But at the same time, so much of it is lost. And we also try to be careful when setting expectations, right? Like, I think what you said right now, Brad, is very fair about Jonathan Bergeron. But I'm never making that player comp without the world of qualifiers that you gave ahead ahead of time because – like you said, Sam, it needs to be thoughtful. Yeah, because if I just because one that we used, and I think I used specifically from this previous draft, if I just said the comp without any context, it would sound insane. It's like, oh, I see a lot of uh, Nikita Kucherov and Dmitry Buchelnikov. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is a fair statement, and I don't think Buchelnikov is ever going to be seventy five percent of the player Nikita Kucherov is, but they're super creative playmakers who aren't the fleetest of foot, who have absolute bombs for a shot, and play primarily on the perimeter. So I can compare Kucherov to Buchelnikov, but if I don't elaborate, it's an absurd statement. Man, I have to tell you, I saw that clip again of of what Kucherov did to Ekblad in the playoffs. <laughs> And I, as as a former defenseman, uh, I didn't sleep well that night. But it was that was just so nasty the way he looked him off. It was like it was so textbook. You have to know Ekblad was kicking himself for biting that hard. It's kind of like a made you flinch, but you flinch way too hard when you absolutely yeah. shouldn't have. But oh god, that was so filthy. So yeah, if Buchelnikov ends up being seventy five percent of Cooch. I'll be thrilled. Yeah, and I, well, that's like Buchelnikov's best case scenario. Like yeah. 
Okay, uh, we got to wrap here. We'll be back with you uh, for our usual weekend episode. Thank you all so much for tuning in. Uh, to Chris Draper, thank you so much for the uh, the incredible interview. We're very, very excited to have him back. Folks, we have uh, news coming as we progress into our offseason soon. More on that to come. Uh, there's a lot of stuff that we're working on just because it's an approaching an offseason in terms of maybe going down to one a week doesn't mean we're working any less hard. We're preparing for next year already. Brad and I probably spent half an hour before recording today just going over literal logistics. Um, so stay tuned for that. Some hopeful good news coming on those fronts soon. Uh, we'd like to thank all of you who have listened, uh, new listeners and old, um, all of you who have joined uh, our Patreon, our returning patrons, anyone who's given us ratings recently on uh, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, they really do help. So if you're able to do that, that is a wonderful way to support the show. Uh, the FanDuel Sportsbook for supporting and, of course, all of our patrons and our name level sponsors. Arjun Shanker, Eves Bartels on behalf of the Sarah Grand Foundation, Akefur, the Stay Fresh Cheese Bag, Nick Perks, Brett Bailey, Terry Driver of the number 69, Crying Ryan Hannes, Banana Slam at Jamathong. BJ Johnston, Matthew M. Rice, Ben Hurd, Brandon M., Carl Brutana Nanoluski, uh, Chimmy, Citizen High Five, Connor Scovey, Coyote Season Tickets in Tempe, Craig Kibble, Derek Enstam, DJ Denton, Evans Farmer Tan, Give Blood Fight Probert, Greach, Hassam Al Qasem. I tried so hard and got so far, but in the end, it doesn't even Oli Mata. I'd leave my wife for cider, Jay Gollum, Jacob Turner, Kaylin Wood, King Tone, Kyle Hashman, Marcus, uh, Matt McKay, my impressive package LMAO, Nicholas Fritz, R.A., Ryan Hubbard, Scott Martin, Zachary Rogers, Sam Bankson, uh, Safe Fresh Cheese Bags, Adam, now I finish better than Ernie, Antonio Gracias, Babe Landeskog is a Stanley Cup champion, Ben Barron, Brian Vasha, Connor Leighton, Darren Ficarelli, Dave W., uh, Evans Bankrupt Parking Garage, Dungeon Master of Puppets, Evans Bingo Card, Griffy Boy, It Hurts When I Puce Suter, uh, Jack the Bassist, James Laporte, Jeremiah Dobo, Jeremy Brocker, JM Rhapsody, John Evans, Josh Yelton, Justin and the Angry Mob, Carco Masper, Kevin McCracken, Quaz, Logan Burgos, Matt Keeler, Matt S., Maximilian Cheesebags, Melissa Erickson, Papa Woody, Puck Norris, Revy DeLuca, Rufus, Thick Rick, Trevor Pevavar, and Zach McCann, a driving range superstar. Thank you all so much. I'm going to try to kill this fly. Thanks for tuning in to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Be sure to check out wingedwheelpodcast.com, where you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll also find links to other ways to support the show, such as Patreon, official podcast apparel, and more. And don't forget to follow the show on Twitter at Winged Wheel Pod. And of course, the hosts at Brad Crisco, at Ryan Hanna WWP, and at Hockey Town Evan.